0: back, Altia, you and me. We're going to talk about bonds or fixed income, call it what you want. Um lot to chew on this week and um, we're going to talk about central banks and, you know, you know the concept of a bear steepening, etc. Um, so maybe, Altia, we can start the conversation with, you know, what is your outlook for the week ahead, basically?
1: Well, Peter, I just see bear steepeners uh, right, left and center. And the rationale around that uh, is that what we are seeing uh, across economies uh, uh, is that the front part of the yield curve remains anchored. And that's because inflation remains well above central banks' uh, targets. But the long part of the yield curve has to reprise uh, accordingly to expectations of rates to remain at the highest level since 2008. And I'm going to take you right to the U.S. where we are expecting a Federal Reserve meeting um, tomorrow and the expectations is for the Federal Reserve to keep rates on hold. The reason for that is that uh, we have seen yields on the part on the long part of the yield curve uh, rising dramatically since uh, the September FOMC meeting and uh, that rise uh, which was around 50 basis points from 4.4% to 4.5% uh, 4.9% uh, can be attributed uh, only to real rates so we can comfortably say that the financial conditions are tighter today than they were six weeks ago. Um, So the pause has been very well advertised by Federal Reserve members, but uh, realistically, the answer of what is going to happen in the yield curve is going uh, to come from the bond futures market. If we look at the three months' software rate, it shows that uh, there will be only three interest rate cuts in 2024, And throughout the next 10 years, the base rate will never drop below 4.10%. Historically, Peter, 10-year U.S. Treasury yields have priced around 150 basis points over uh, the benchmark rate set by the Federal Reserve. So if we have to think about it uh, conservatively, if we don't have... uh, the, Res- the Federal Reserve cutting below four percent, the ten-year should price around five point five percent.
0: All right. So, um, <laughs> well, I've read that a lot of people are actually, um, you know, in fixed income. Or maybe the five to six percent on the U.S. ten-year yield is the new normal. Um, we had a period before we had the low interest rate environment after the GFC where we had, you know, the ten-year trading at between five and six percent. So, what do you think? Do you think we will go? To that new environment and stay between five or six, or do you think the market is too optimistic on on growth or too pessimistic on inflation? Call it what you want.
1: Well, I think that uh, definitely what we are seeing here is a new paradigm. Uh, we might not go back uh, where we were before the pandemic. However, uh, expectations on interest rate uh, can change. Uh, suddenly. And we have seen that in March of the back of the SVB crisis, the three months uh, software rate uh, showed that uh, interest rates uh, would have dropped uh, to 2.7% by the eight, uh, by the end of 2024. That can still happen. However, uh, we need uh, something that uh, we haven't seen now. We need a deep recession or a credit event that pushes the market uh, to go there. But even then, Peter, the big question is going to be where is going to be inflation at that point. And if inflation is still well above target, uh, then we cannot expect the Federal Reserve uh, to cut aggressively as uh, we have uh, expected uh, maybe pre-COVID. And also, Peter, we cannot forget that this picture comes along with uh, bigger U.S. Treasury auctions, so a much bigger supply of U.S. Treasuries. Tomorrow we are having the quarterly refunding announcement coming from the U.S. Treasury, and what we know is that they will need to increase the size of their coupon issuance, so long-term bonds. So if we have high inflation, higher supply of U.S. Treasuries, Quantitative tightening. The Bank of Japan, which we learned this morning, is about to normalize monetary policies. Then there is really little scope for the long end to rally. And that's why whenever I look at bonds, I really like a barbell strategy because I've been speaking a lot with you regarding how attractive The 10-year tenor looks not only in the U.S., but also in Europe and uh, in uh, the U.K. And a barber um, strategy means uh, buying the short end, um, normally up to three years, so uh, securing uh, the highest yield in the yield curve and uh, reducing duration and buying the long part of the yield curve, in this case, uh, the 10-year, which provides some sort of protection against a credit event that we don't see now.
0: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> on the, uh, the the whole inflation and, 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 you know, in central bank cutting, I think it's interesting that, you know, in the past cycles we have been used to of course central banks can cut interest rates if there is a weakening uh, and the uh, you know the the cost of doing that would uh, would minimal but i think if we if we live in a world where there are inflation risk constantly because of you know global supply chains the fragmentation game as we have talked endlessly about on this podcast and in our team then you know uh, in premature interest rate cuts if they if they are afraid of what's happening in an financial markets could you know cause inflation risk but that's maybe for a topic for another day but i'll say but we staying with the central bank theme we have to talk about Bank of Japan a little bit because, as you said, you know, this morning at European time, they they um, they did a little change, or maybe it's actually a bigger change than what you would in, what you would assume, um, because they they didn't sp- explicitly move the ceiling on the uh, on the on the U- on the J D P ten year yield, but they said it's not any longer a ceiling, but it's a reference point, and. I don't know what you're thinking about that, but before I let you speak, I you know I just checked the dollar yen before we went into the studio. It's trading almost 151 now, um, so that will be the highest close for for this uh, for this cycle. What do you think? Uh, what do you think? Uh, where do we go from here on 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 JDPs and you know and this thinking as well on the from this from the Bank of Japan?
1: Well, Peter, I believe that. Uh, um what uh, comes out uh, from uh, the Bank of Japan uh, is that uh, we are moving towards uh, some sort of normalization. So, Japan really wanted inflation, they got it. Uh, but it's becoming a little bit persistent. And that's why they had to revise uh, in their economic projections uh, uh, the inflation expectations for these fiscal years and also the next fiscal year. We talked about that also in our previous podcast. So now the Bank of Japan... Is expecting the fiscal year of 2023 to close at 2.8% versus 2.5% expected uh, in July. And the the fiscal year of 2024, so I'm talking April 2025, uh, to close at 2.8%. That's a massive move. Um, No, I apologize. Yes, uh, I have here the expectations. (laughs) So, yeah, um, this is a massive move from what we have seen in the past. And what uh, these uh, uh, forecasts are telling us about uh, monetary policies in Japan is that uh, at a certain point, uh, the, the Bank of Japan needs to mo- normalize uh, monetary policies. It uh, yields will need to rise. Uh, and already by now, Japanese investors uh, don't have scope to buy foreign securities because uh, 10-year U.S. Treasury hedge against uh, the Japanese yen um, are returning around uh, minus 1% uh, to Japanese investors. So it's much better to secure... JGBs uh, at roughly zero point nine percent
0: there's also a thing about um, Japan that you know with the with the current yield we're around the one percent on on ten uh, year Um but if you take their you know their forecast on on uh, on cpi and um and also real real GDP growth it it i mean if if you think about it so Japan already has a very high debt leverage and typically you say that you should put your policy rate above the nominal growth rate in order to prevent debt de- uh, debt leveraging to just continue higher and higher so if you take the the midpoint on their uh, real GDP forecast in 2025 and the uh, overall CPI it, that squares to around 2.7 2.8 percent nominal GDP growth and you have the GDP 10-year yield at one percent I would I mean I'm a simple equity guy I would assume that there's a scope for a lot of higher GDP yield. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: but then nobody knows. And we know that uh, the Bank of Japan is really cautious. Also, the tweak that they did uh, today at the yield curve control has been very minor, uh, but still is having repercussion uh, uh, globally. And uh, Peter, uh, it's quite uh, counterintuitive. Uh, we know that as uh, JGB yields uh, are rising, uh, so demand for Japanese investors is going to be less in the US and in Europe. But as JGB rise, we might see a little bit of the opposite. So a bid, a, a, a demand for U.S. and European sovereigns as JGB lose value at home. So it's not going to be a linear kind of relation. We have to see this spreading out throughout the last quarter of the year and 2024. But with the, Gen- with the Bank of Japan Normalizing it means that uh, um, long term yields uh, on both sides of the Atlantic would need to reprise somewhat higher than what we have been accustomed to um, in uh, before COVID. And one of the greatest examples is uh, the European uh, area. Today we had uh, European um GDP showing uh, that uh, the economy is uh, decelerating sharply in uh, in Europe and we had also um lower inflationary pressures uh, coming out of Europe but still the uh, European Yield curves have been bull flattening. Basically, the bond market today told us that the ECB is going to prioritize inflation over growth for the time being. But I'm arriving here to another point. If we look at bond futures in the euro area, we see that the expectations are for the deposit ECB rate not to drop below 2.8%. If that is true, then German Bund need to price above this rate and that will take them around 4%. Because if we look at uh, um, uh, at uh, how much pickup uh, German boots offered over uh, the um, ECB deposit facility, um, it has been around 150 basis points since 2000 until today. But if we look at uh, that decade from 2010 until 2020, it was around 120 basis points. So we can say, yes, German boots were negative, but where they were trading relatively to the ECB deposit rate, and they were trading uh, with a pickup, obviously, the yield curve inverted, now they are not. But if we want to see some sort of normalization in Europe, exactly as uh, we expect it to happen in Japan and also in the US, uh, then uh, German boons uh, have scope uh, to rise towards a uh, 4%. All
0: right. Um, we could talk a little bit about uh, the Bank of England, um, but you know we could be running out of time. And we also discussed a little bit Bank of England yesterday's on yesterday's podcast with, uh, with Sharo, Maybe I can, you know, at, while we have some time, I'll, uh, Altia, can you maybe, for the listeners out there, explain a little bit about, you know, the Barber strategy that you talked a little bit about? Why why is that interesting, given the backdrop we have in the fixed income market?
1: Well, a Barber uh, uh, strategy is interesting because it gives exposure um, to investors uh, to the front part of the yield curve and the long part of the yield curve. Um, So it maximizes uh, somewhat risk. And in this case, uh, the long part of the yield curve and with long part, I'm just referring to the 10 years tenors uh, is interesting because it provides some protection against a tail event uh, that might happen or might not. Um, We already said that 10 year U.S. uh, Treasury yields uh, um, provide uh, um, quite an interesting uh, uh, risk and reward ratio. If held for one year and yields will continue to rise by 100 basis points, the loss an investor will make is only around 2%. But with the front part of the yield curve, investors will remain always positive unless yields will rise by 200 basis points. By combining the two, you maximize your yield, but create also some sort of cap in case there is... Um, in, in case there is a sell-off, a further sell-off in the
0: And if you're a retail investor listening to this, and I'm thinking, okay, that sounds pretty complicated, Altea. I'm, I'm not a, and, an, an, but can, can I, can I do this barbell strategy with some simple ETFs tracking the short and the long end of the European yield curve?
1: Yes, it's simple. Uh, you can look at uh, um, this PDR ETF uh, that they have uh, several ETF tracking U.S. treasuries uh, um, by. Uh, maturity, one to three years, three to five years, and so forth. And the same is uh, uh, with other ETF uh, tracking uh, several uh, parts of the yield curve in, in Europe. So it's not a complicated strategy, uh, really. It's just about getting exposure to this part, the, the wings of the yield curve.
0: Excellent, and I think that uh, brings us to the end of the podcast. It was uh, great having you again on the uh, on our podcast, LT, to talk about uh, bonds. So I think it's um, it's an important week uh, in fixed income market. A lot of central bank action, and you know, especially with the Bank of Japan today and and tomorrow. It's the FOMC, and on Thursday, Bank of England, and you know. Think about this barbell strategy. I really like it. The way LTIA is phrasing it, it's, it's really worth uh, considering. And um, yeah, well, we'll be we'll be back tomorrow, and where we'll talk about equities, where there's also a lot of action. Thank you for listening.